home court advantage is back, baby. Just like purple. <laughs> Dylan Brooks starts going at Clarkson. Clarkson misses a technical and starts clapping back at the fans. And from that point on, I felt like the fans tonight were in control of Dylan Brooks. Uh, what a great game. Another atmosphere-like, or a playoff atmosphere-like game where the crowd just really gets into it. it. It felt like they were genuinely a part of this game. And it's been a long time where it, it's felt like our fan base has been able to affect the game. But it's back, baby. Home court advantage is back. Now, uh, Steven Adams gets into a tussle with Kelly Olenek on a rebound. Really should have been a foul on Steven Adams. He basically landed on top of Kelly Olenek. They give the foul to Olenek, but Steven Adams doesn't come back. Uh, supposedly, he hurt his jaw. Uh, I'm not sure if he broke it or, or what happened, but that, that guy doesn't really get hurt often. Um, so once he went out, I felt like the Jazz were completely in control. There was a point in the game where Morant started taking, um, it wasn't Ochai, they put Ochai on him. Uh, I can't remember now who, who was guarding Morant. Oh, Lowry was guarding him a couple times, but, uh, Morant was getting to the basket and, and kind of scoring at will. Uh, I feel like that was kind of the plan from Coach Hardy is just, you know, yeah, let let Morant get his. He's going to eventually wear out. You know, he was sick last game, didn't play. So maybe that was the thought behind it is he he just is, doesn't have the energy to really put us away. Honestly, his shot looked off. Uh, he's not as dominant as he used to be. Or, sorry, he, he didn't play as dominant as he usually is. He's still an incredibly dominant player. But, uh... Yeah, we, we handled it well. I thought it was great that uh, they put Ochai on him because we had questions about Ochai's defensive abilities. I thought he handled it well. I, I don't think he shut him down, but I thought he did better um, defending him, and maybe the strategy behind that was to, you know, it's a younger guy. Um Ochai is not as a big of part of what we're doing offensively, so the thought could be, hey, let, let's, you know, make him sit down in a stance and and guard their best player, and it, and it works. So the real story of this game to me, uh, oh, there there's so many, but uh, we went trick or treating, obviously, with my kids tonight, and so we were recording and kind of going uh, fast through the game, and as we got into the second quarter I just thought man this team is going to win again they are are just outworking the other team and really that's what I feel like it comes down to uh I tweeted this out at halftime I believe the assist and I I always say this if we're going to keep this up our assists have to stay there uh I believe we're at we were at 20 at halftime and the Memphis Grizzlies were at eight. A huge difference. Now we we finished at twenty six. Um, I think if we can get to the thirty point or thirty assist each game, it's almost that's our our sweet number in my mind. It uh, doesn't really depend on what the other team is doing, but the 
Memphis Grizzlies had 14 assists. Coach Hardy is on live television, so I'm going to turn it over to him real quick to see what he has to say. I always like hearing what he says. Um, defensively, I thought we did a better job of protecting the paint, even though they got 58 in the paint. They got some of those late, and I thought our team did a pretty good job overall of playing team defense, uh, which allowed us to get out and run. Um, our spacing on the offensive end, I thought tonight was great again. Uh, guys continue to move the ball. You know, even like JC, for example, is three for 14 from the floor, but he has seven assists. So just continuing to find ways to win with this group. Um, everybody participating. Uh, another night where we're missing some bodies, but that's the NBA. Um, I think if we could improve one thing, we fouled too much tonight. We got in the bonus early in quarters, and uh, Ja Moran and Memphis are very hard to guard when you're in the bonus. Um, it really takes away your ability to be physical with them. So credit to our guys, um, again, just locking in and executing tonight. The second quarter defense was, I think, particularly notable. Was there anything that was being emphasized during that stretch? Yeah, I thought that our guys really just competed on the ball very well in pick and roll. Um, they did a very good job of mixing going over and going under. Um, when Lowry was playing at the five, I thought that his ability to drop and protect the basket was very good. Um, we were able to create some turnovers in that quarter. So, again, it's a, it's a team. We'll talk about that the whole year. Um, it takes a team effort on both ends for our group, and... I thought in that quarter in particular, like our focus defensively really allowed us to get out and run. Speaking of Lowry's defense, I think a lot of the attention on what he's done this year has been on his scoring ability. But is it surprising to you at all that he's been as solid defensively as he has been? No. No, I think going back and watching his film last year in Cleveland, I thought he really improved defensively. Um, he has good feet, and he knows how to use his size and his length. Um, you know, he's a legit seven-footer, and his ability to space his guy and still contest at the rim without fouling I think is really good. Um, you know, his his size coupled with his ability to move um, makes him a good defender. I think uh, sometimes bigger guys get sold short because they may not have the, the quickest foot speed, but when you combine his foot speed with the size and his understanding of how to space his guy, um, he's a really effective defender. How did you guys respond to, you know, Dylan uh, stepping over Mike, getting that technical foul, and Memphis just kind of up in their level for five minutes? I know you took that timeout when the game got to 12 or 10 or whatever. Uh, what was the message in that huddle, and how did they respond to that? Oh, yeah, I think our team, um, I think they responded well, first of all. And secondly, the message was let's just focus on the main thing. Let's not let anything that's going on on the court take us out of our execution, um, take us out of our ability to think and communicate while the game's going on. Um, you know, there's always talking in a basketball game between the teams. Um, I didn't think that it necessarily impacted the game a ton tonight, but in that moment when it got a little bit heated, I thought our guys responded very well and just refocused on the task at hand. Uh, Moran got 37 points, but... There weren't many other scores for Memphis outside Moran. Was that kind of the focus to kind of limit their options and, and keep the second or third option from burning you guys? Yeah, I mean, generally I'm not going to get into, like, the specific game plan um, tactically, but I, I do think that you can overreact to one player in the NBA and you can kind of give up everything. I thought our guys did a good job of, 
of making Morant work and, and not giving the other players easy baskets. Um, it, again, going back to the opening, I think the one thing that bothered me about our defense on Morant was our fouling. And it wasn't just shooting fouls. I thought, you know, in the third quarter at the end, we were in the bonus and we were picking him up at half court um, with his speed. It's just too hard to guard him that far from the basket when you're in the bonus. So he's a he's a heck of a player and they have a heck of a team. Um, so we were uh, happy to get the win. What was the genesis of Jared Vanderbilt's three-point shooting to where it is now? Like, what's that evolution been like? Uh, Jared came up to me and said, Coach, I'm going to shoot threes. Uh <laughs> Whether you like it or not, no, I'm kidding. Uh, he, uh, you know, we we trust Jerry to make the right play, and some of our actions, he's spaced in the corner. He works really hard on his game um, every day with our development team, and um, you know, again, we we talk about different options that he has in in our offense uh, based on our spacing, and one of those options is for him to shoot, and he's done a great job. He's knocking him down. They only got 26 three-point attempts tonight, which obviously pretty good. Um, how do you send help to the paint the way you did, especially with Lowry and the five, and, kind of, and still prevent those three-point attempts? Yeah, I think it's it, it starts with just recognizing, you know, de defense to, with our team is definitely a situation where you have to make a lot of decisions. Um, I think understanding when guys that are attacking the basket are about to shoot a floater and trying to, to get back out to the shooters um, and not just all five people collapsing on the ball. Um, you know, we try to make sure that we're not over-helping. But it takes work. Our guys work on it a lot. We talk about it a lot in film, and uh, they're continuing to improve at it. Malik has had a few games in a row where he's not, like, necessarily standing out, but he's just seemingly kind of, like, quietly taking advantage of the opportunity to get what have you seen out of him, um, especially in the last few Yeah, I think he's he's expanding um, his thinking on the offensive end. I thought tonight he did a very good job of mixing in a couple cuts uh, when he was getting overplayed. He got a couple back cuts that I think just helped him get it in rhythm. Um, Malik's a very dangerous shooter, and other teams know that. And so sometimes he has to use the defense's aggressiveness against them. And living your life in the NBA only shooting threes is hard. Um, so Malik's done a very nice job of finding ways to mix in cuts and some quick decision drives uh, to get himself in the paint um, so he's not just shooting threes. We are joined by uh, the guy that won the costume contest. All right. Pretty interesting words from Coach there. Uh, I think what stood out to me is... I was going to hit on this Malik Beasley. I think it, it really was a breakout game for him in my mind. Um, like the reporter said, he kind of disappears or is in the background sometimes. And behind Larry Markinen, who had 31 points, our second leading scorer was Beasley, who shot 7 for 12 from the field, 4 for 9 from three-point line, uh, had four rebounds, four assists, and in the plus minus was plus 14. So um, what Coach Hardy talked about right there is him back cutting and getting a little bit more involved. And it's it's really hard to be only a three-point shooter in the NBA. Uh, shows how much Coach knows about the game and how to get a player involved. He said something similar to Ochai Agbaji 
I believe last game where it's like you can't just go to this corner and stand there. You got to get yourself involved in the game. And I, I believe if Malik Beasley can do that, uh, he's going to be a really awesome player for us. Uh, another point I want to hit on too, and I, I promise I'll let you guys talk in just a sec. Sorry. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, before he hit the three, I said, you know, cause they weren't guarding him at all. And, uh, my brother was over and I just said, man, imagine if Vanderbilt could hit threes. And then he hit one just shortly after that. And I about lost it. So, uh, so many different points to talk about. Um, Tevin, I know that you wanted to speak first, so I'm going to give you the floor, my friend. Hey, what's up guys? What up? Um, this was a very, uh, playoff atmospheric game tonight and it was amazing um yeah i got i got free tickets and i asked my wife if i could go and she said no you got to come trick-or-treating so i was pretty bummed <laughs> you know what's funny is uh I, we got offered tickets from two separate people and my wife and i were like can we make this work and I'm, we're like uh, let's just go trick-or-treating with our our son and we'll, t- we'll turn them down we, we don't think we can make make that work which, you know what, I'm okay with having uh, just watched on TV. Was, uh, that was a really, really good game. Yeah, it, it was super entertaining. Uh, we made it work, too, which my dad and my brother actually came and watched the game, and uh, we usually don't get to watch the game together. And then I made all the girls come down and say, uh, it was like two minutes ago in the second half, and my dad had showed me the score. I was like, Dad, why do you, why do you got to ruin it like that? Like, I'm recording this. And so I made them come down. And I was like, watch, the Jazz are going to score another seven points, and Grizzlies are going to only score two. And the girls were all like, what? How did you know that? <laughs> so it, w- it was a fun night here at home. It would have been a blast in the arena. I kind of thought since I couldn't go, I, w- I was wondering, like, man, are they going to be able to fill the arena on Halloween night? But no problems. It was 99% full. I looked at the stats. So, uh, they even I, had some people, oh, quite a few people dressed up there too. They showed, uh, I don't know if you saw on the broadcast, but they had uh, a good number of people dressed up. Like I, I, they, they showed one couple that was dressed up as Kelly Olenek. Yeah. The, the guy on the ground. It was absolutely awesome. That I saw that. Cool. Yeah. And they, they're showing right now a bunch of fan photos uh, I retweeted one of them, Jordan Clarkson, and there's two with pumpkins on their head. But uh, it'd be fun if the Jazz could could pull that off every Halloween to somehow somehow make that like tradition. Since we we probably aren't going to be getting a Christmas game for quite some time again, uh, make a Halloween tradition here in Utah. It'd be fun. Um, I wanted to hit on Larry Markinen because that man did everything tonight geez yeah tonight uh 11 rebounds two assists one steal four blocks only two turnovers which is impressive he has the ball in his hands a lot uh only missed two three-point shots hit four four for six from the three-point line and then went 11 for 15 from the field so only missed four field goals and Again, again i reiterate this man did everything tonight yeah yeah, and which I, I think my favorite favorite highlight from him tonight was after Mike Conley and, and Dylan Brooks got into it, and Dylan Brooks stepped over Mike Conley, 
And I was like, wow, really? You're okay. Yeah, you want to you want to pull that tonight? And it was like the next play or the the play, like two plays later or whatever. And Dylan goes to to lay it up, and Laurie Markin totally swats it and gives him the most serious stare down. <laughs> I think we've ever seen Laurie Markin like do. And he, he like he keeps that stare down look for like another ten seconds after he looks past him, and we're like, oh yeah, you don't want to mess with this man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what, what kind of exploded the fans uh, and got them all over. Because after that, every time Brooks touched the ball, they were booing him. But it was... Oh, yeah. it, it well, was... Well, the, the best part, though, was... So they showed the replay, and they showed Dylan Brooks's reaction when he like landed on the ground. Because I think he uh, either ran into like one of his own teammates on the bench or like ran into somebody who was trying to run with, with Lori. And... Dylan uh, Brooks was like happy and shocked at the same time. It was kind of a weird like reaction to it, but like he was he was clapping as Lori was walking yeah. away, and I'm like, really, you really want to trash talk and 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 get the get Lori Markin and go on? I don't think you do, but yeah. And I I tweeted out a a photo of Dylan Brooks and said the most hated man in Utah. Someone. Someone replied with a Westbrook smiling and nodding his head, and I said until until Russ comes back. But uh, it, it it was a fun game. I always love when it gets chippy like that and the fans get involved because honestly, that's why I've, I've fallen in love as a Jazz fan because you feel like you can kind of uh, affect the game, and I don't remember the last time the fans have really gotten into a player's head like that, like. Dylan Brooks obviously was was going back and forth with the fan base, and uh, he just he didn't do much after that. I, I thought it was a huge turning point. Obviously, like I said earlier, Stephen Adams goes down. We know that they're shorthanded without uh, um, their big guy that can shoot threes, Jackson. Um, I forgot to mention that last time we played them, but on the same same note, we're shorthanded as well. We were without four guys. And I think if you add Jackson and then Walker Kessler in, I mean, we're, we're right there with the Memphis Grizzlies. Nobody thought that we were going to win both of these games back to back. Even before these two games, I was saying, you know, we could be below 500 really quick. And now you look at these next three games coming up at Dallas on Wednesday, and then we go to L.A., for the Lakers on Friday, which we got to win that one. I just, I don't, I don't see how we don't win that one. I, I, I was like, if we could go one and one here with Memphis, that'd be fantastic. And here we are two and all against Memphis and now going against Denver and LA. So there's a guy at my work where I was like, Hey, how, how are the Lakers doing? Like totally in spite of him. And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, are you serious, bro? You don't know the record right now. You don't know what's going on. He goes, no, so I show him the record, and he goes, "Oh f, oh shoot!" <laughs> I didn't think they were doing that bad. I'm like, "Yeah, they're terrible right now." And he goes, "Just give it, give it ten more games. They'll settle in. They'll be okay." I'm like, "They're nearly ten games in already, and they're doing terribly." <laughs> yeah, I think the Lakers have to do something. They uh, Westbrook did score 19 points coming off the bench, but I, I just don't think that's gonna be the answer. 
Um, how many shots? How many shots did it take to get those points? Yeah, I don't know. It was a mess. It's it's great to see the Brooklyn Nets are a mess too. I know that a lot of people were talking about that game and how they just gave up the other night. Nash had a players only meeting directly after the game, but. Once we go to L.A. on Friday, we stay there and play the Clippers as well, which Kawhi still isn't back. So uh, I I believe the hardest one out of those three are going to be the Dallas Mavericks. I know because it was Halloween, someone uh, created a thread that said, um, post your, your most spooky sports memory, and it was last year in the playoffs against the Mavericks when Bojan had that three where he sidestepped and missed and the Dallas Mavericks ended up beating us in that series. So um, they've been a tough team for us. I think they've, they've been playing pretty well, but that being said, the jazz are playing extremely well. And if we can keep up the assist, we're also leading the NBA in steals per game, which we had 10 this game and Memphis had eight. So you add sharing the ball, and tonight the the help defense and the way we were collapsing was so much better than the last few games, and our defense really is is a difference maker with these big, long guys. It's almost like we don't have to play extremely hard, but we're able to play smart to save our energy and then be effective on the offensive end, too, so... Uh, Dallin, it, you are up, buddy. Uh, go ahead. I know we've been just talking this whole time. No, so No, I was just going to try to chime in and feed off you guys. But no, um, the, the, <coughs> I agree, man. If I think the narrative every night is going to be like, uh, we don't stack up against this next team. I don't know how we're going to do. Uh, we're probably going to lose, you know, one out of two of these next games. And then this team surprises us and they play team defense and they rebound the ball and they pass the ball really well. And I think if they keep doing that, I I, I don't know, you know, I, <laughs> I want to temper my expectations, especially with Lori marketing. Like I, I want to say that he's the third or fourth option on a really good team, but maybe, maybe he's the first or second option and nobody Chicago and Cleveland didn't know how to use him. And Malik Bleasley, I know how much you really love him, but um, you know he could be a really nice piece as well if he buys into the system that Will Hardy has going. Yeah, and I think I think Coach Hardy hit on that pretty well, just barely. Uh, I've been wanting to see a little bit more out of Malik Beasley, so tonight I I feel like I got that. I don't I don't I don't think that it's his full potential. Um, but I saw a glimpse of him and maybe it was just a few back cuts, but he was plus 14 on the plus minus, And I thought he was really effective made the, the thing that drives me crazy about Malik Beasley is when he hits a shot or makes a play, then he comes down with, with like, uh, someone in his face and shoots one. There was, yeah, there was, like crazy. Yeah. yeah, there was one play tonight where there was like three players kind of gravitating towards him and Lowry was open on the right and he didn't pass and he shot it. And it's like, come on, man. Like it's, it's just a simple, easy pass. And it, if he can, I mean, it, to me, it's just watch film of yourself and figure that out. Like you've got to start recognizing that, especially being in the, the league as long as he has. Um, 
and like I said, that's and to to that point is, if this team plays together and they don't try to go get theirs, and they play as a team, I I, I really think like it's not out of the realm of possibility we're like the fourth or fifth seed in the West. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I think so. I ran into teams. I, I know we have ran into teams where you know Jamal Murray's just coming off of sur- surgery and they don't have Jaron Jackson in Memphis. I get all that, but you know they they are NBA players and they do have to show up to play. So yeah, and, and we're beating playoff. We're beating teams that are supposed to be in the playoffs. Like this, you know, it, yeah. it, we don't have an yeah. easy schedule. This was supposed to be part this part of our schedule is supposed to be one of the hardest parts of our schedule. And we're doing this right now. So it's, it's hard not to be excited. I think everybody is caught off guard and excited about this team. Jordan. Uh, I think, I think it's Jordan Clark or take note, Jay. I'll call you take note, Jay. You've got the Jordan. If you want to talk, it's Jordan, it's Jordan Clarkson's drip. Yeah. Jordan Clarkson's drip for sure. My brother dressed up like Jordan Clarkson tonight. He has, he basically has those braids like Jordan Clarkson and he had a zip the zipper on his face with like the blood on the mouth part of it actually looked pretty cool. It's like I didn't know Jordan Clarkson was going to come trick or treating with us tonight, but I I got to I got to grow my hair out too to to get that drip going. Um going back really quick to the uh, Hey Tevin, can you speak up just cuz I'm trying to get this into the microphone on the podcast too. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you just going back really quick to the uh, to the film uh, comment that was made earlier? Can you guys just imagine what film study is like for these guys, especially even tomorrow, but even the day after or days to come? Um, I would I don't know about you guys, but I think it would be so interesting to be a fly on the wall and just listen to the game planning and seeing what people can get better at and all that other good stuff. I just feel like that would be so interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it would be awesome. I think I think Hardy is really good at that because he, from the comments that I've heard when he's speaking, uh, it seems like he doesn't make it too complicated for these players. The the two that I'm thinking about are Ochai Abaji, like, hey, you got to just, you know, you can't stand in the corner. If there's a rebound, go for it. Like, you're getting yeah, a certain that. amount of minutes, just, you know, insert yourself into the game. So... That was a really simple comment, and the one today where he he told Beasley just just back cut a few times, get get yourself into rhythm instead of just standing. It's hard to get into a rhythm just standing on the three point line, and I I personally think that that might be part of <clears throat> Coach's genius is he just keeps it simple and adds a few things, but he's really really good at knowing what to tell them. Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't. If I remember right from his initial interview shortly after he was hired, wasn't didn't he start in um, like a like doing film back in like college or whatever? And then when he got uh, like not necessarily an assistant coaching job, not that necessarily, but like he was in the film room for I think it was the Spurs or whatever, and for Pop, and they're like, hey, you need to be locked in, do whatever homework that the coaches ask you to do. And be ready so that when come time for um, for practices and getting ready for film, that, that you have every assignment that you were needed to get, and that when questions are asked, you're ready to go. I think that's what he said. I could be wrong. Though. Yeah, I I think you're right. And 
That yeah, he followed the Eric Spolstra way of getting to head coaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. I was like, it was another yeah. coach. Yes, yeah, yeah, Spolstra's little yeah. little line, which I think is amazing. So no, no wonder he's already so good at it. He's gotten yeah. how, I think how many years now of experience doing it. I don't know, and but I think these new guys, especially, I think it's just a trend in the NBA that you're gonna have to know how to. You're gonna have to just be, basically be like living in the video room before you get a head coaching job and then have to always use that. Well, and that, that kind of shows how much he knows the game and how good he is if he's only 34 years old and he, he's made it to a head coaching position. Like, you can't just go in, be a film guy, and, and not be good at it and work your way up the ranks like he has. Uh, one other thing I wanted to hit on really quick is Jared Vanderbilt. Um I love the guy. I think he's awesome. There's a, a rumor report from Miami that I saw today that they're interested in him, trying to get him um, tonight. That made me laugh so hysterically. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome because like all the jazz players with us winning, like their their value is going up so much. <laughs> yeah, like the Lakers would have who, to like I give us the farm. Who basically. Tweeted it, but there was there was somebody who quote tweeted that rumor it was like. Well, that's nice. He's gonna stay with us. So keep. It was like keep dreaming or keep drooling or something like that. It was absolutely hysterical. Yeah, I I think he brings so much value to our team. I honestly think that's why Timberwolves are struggling so much. Is they lost him as a defender, and obviously they have Rudy, but it's it's not the same position. He can guard on the perimeter if needed. He's such a good rebounder. He gives you juice, but uh, not his best game tonight. Um, he's, I mean, he's still got seven rebounds, five assists, a block, only two turnovers. The The big thing with Jared Vanderbilt is his fouling, right? Yeah. Right. And there's, I've been trying to watch it closer because it's like, okay, he, he, he can play out of control or, you know, go in, um, for a rebound and not have control of his body or bump into someone. But there were foul calls tonight where it's just like he's not even close to fouling them. And there's some players in the league that just have a reputation um, that foul people. Is he one of those guys where the rest just like have it out for him? Because I, don't, I felt like the, the Houston game and then the first Memphis game, and especially in the first half, they were just calling – like silly like hand checking fouls like crazy on every screen it was nuts and it, i mean i was listening to memphis commentators on the first memphis game and they were just like and they were calling it pretty even they weren't just calling it just for their team and they're like oh yeah that was a foul really there and even on the jazz guys and wasn't and so i'm just i don't know like i don't know that whole new rule of where they can like they didn't want to interrupt the flow of the game so they would let him get away with a little bit more and then i don't know yeah, they're trying yeah, to implement why, something. that's why every game is so interesting because uh the, like the players and even the coaches um really harp on this that it's like every game is so different that there's a different vibe and feel to every game and the players really try to understand how the refs are calling each and every game and depending on how they're calling it is how is how they play it so it's so so interesting it's uh yeah it's so interesting how it's different every single time and just to add to your point with jared vanderbilt he is 
if he stays out of foul trouble and just can stay on the court. I think Millsap kind of had those issues when he first came into the league. Um, 100%. Yeah, and if he can just stay on the court, like, all the other things he does is so good. And, like, he can guard one through five, and that's, like, the one thing with Rudy. Like, Rudy can only guard the four and five position, really. Richard Vanderbilt can guard and switch on every every single person. So. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of teams recognize the mismatch with Rudy. Like, he, still, I've seen highlights where he doesn't get out on the three-point shot enough, and, and teams can take advantage of that. I mean, it killed us in a few playoff series. But Vanderbilt, uh, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to watch because he is such a unique character with his length and his ability uh, it would be a dream if he could start hitting some shots because teams are sagging off of him like the three he hit tonight. I think that was great for his confidence. But, he, you know, even like tonight, he doesn't have a great night, but he he's effective. And the biggest thing I would like him to improve on is not fouling while guarding someone because he's a lot like Rudy when Rudy was trying to go for like every single block or – Vanderbilt tries to go for every single steal or every single block that he feels like he can get. And sometimes his length just does the work for him. He doesn't need to try and block it. He doesn't need to try and get a steal. And if a player hits a shot, great. But like he's more valuable on the court than he is getting fouls and not getting into rhythm. So that's something that I, I hope he learns. Now, looking at the box score, hopefully you guys haven't checked it out. If you have, close your eyes because I'm going to ask you a trivia question. With Lowry Markinen scoring 31 points tonight and him not leading the team in plus minus, who do you think led the Utah Jazz tonight in plus minus? So I still don't understand the whole analytics behind plus minus, but just to throw... A shot out there. I'm gonna either say Olenek or Vanderbilt. I'm gonna say Beasley. Beasley was close, so uh, I'm gonna go the ones that aren't, but also have 14 or above. So Malik Beasley was plus 14. Clarkson was plus 14. Conley was plus 15, and Markinen was plus 15. Uh, the player that had the the most plus minus tonight was 19, which was four above everyone else, was Colin Sexton. Um, and I think they take into account, you know, what the score is when a player comes in to what it is when they come out. Obviously, fouls and all that. I, I don't know the plus minus exactly either. I just know that it's better to have a higher plus. <laughs> Um, so Colin Sexton was really efficient tonight, uh, shot four for nine from the field, hit two for four from the three point line. Didn't miss a free throw, uh, two rebounds, zero assist, two steals and two turnovers. So it is weird. He scored 15. Yeah. That's so weird to me. Cause it like that's that line compared to Lori Markins tonight. I would have 100%. Shoot, 1,000% believe that Laurie Markin's plus minus would have been higher. So that really goes to show, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know nothing about plus minus whatsoever. Yeah, it is, it is weird because when you look at the box score, it doesn't, from, from reading that box score, Vanderbilt sounds better, but Vanderbilt was actually a negative four. 
So I'm going to check into that a little bit more. We've got another guest that wants to speak here. Did they leave? Colin, was it you? No, I have not left. Oh, I know you just came in, but uh, go ahead if you want to ask us a question on what we've been talking about or just share your thoughts. I don't know what I missed, but I swear to God, if you let me. Oh, I don't know if I should have said that. Sorry. I swear if you let me in a little bit earlier. I would have said Colin Sexton. And the only reason being is that for some reason throughout this whole year, he's been like our plus minus leader. And I don't know why, but really, I guess he just, yeah, I guess, well, he's just been doing, I, I don't know if it's the whole year, but I know that the, there's two games I looked at it and he was like really, really high up. And so I was like, hmm, if it wasn't Lori Markin, who would it be? And I was like, you know what? Colin Sexton usually does pretty good in that plus minus category. So that's who I was going to say. But I didn't get on in time, and then you you revealed it. Oh, sorry, man. Uh, no, no, no. You're good. You're good. Um, I don't know how the metric works fully. I think isn't it just points scored on the court? Yes. Taking yep. into account fouls and what all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, how your team does as far as when you go into the game, if your team scores six points, then you're plus six. Well, and, and I don't think fouls are in rebounds or anything like that attributed plus minus. So according to Google, uh, plus minus is a sports statistic used to measure a player's impact on the game represented by the difference between their team's total scoring versus their opponents when the player is in the game. Yeah. Okay. So we did go on that that run. I believe it was like twenty something runs. So he could have just checked in right at that time. The thing that I I believe Sexton uh, that makes the most sense to me as why he leads in plus minus is he's he brings so much energy. And I remember I I, I believe it was last game during when we were playing Grizzlies. It may have been the Rockets game. I was tweeting out, just wait till Sexton gets in. The game completely changes, and it really does. Uh, As much as the team gets up and down when he's in the game, even just the defensive intensity, uh, he may not get the steal, but he may have created the steal or deflection that led to the steal. So uh, it's it's really interesting. I'll have to follow that more, Colin, because I, I didn't know that he was the plus minus leader for the most of the season but looking at this i mean it's quite a big difference between these other guys and and looking at vanderbilt's you know negative four i think vanderbilt may have been more effective but he could have been in with the second unit or been in foul trouble and that's why he had the negative four that the team just uh it, it was a different lineup yeah, and he suffered from that foul trouble he must have all just been in when memphis went on their on their few runs and that probably that obviously affected it too so yeah, and I think that's the genius of Will Hardy, man. I I really do. I I think that him, you know, it would have been so easy to be like Colin Sexton. You know, may, we need to start you in the two guard position because we know you want to start. And I I I think he's a great change of pace player, and and he doesn't need to develop the point guard skills and just be like the Jordan Clarkson, like when he came to Utah, and just gives us all that kind of energy off the bench. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I know um, Kevin talks a lot about us having a backup point guard or once Mike Conley's gone, who the point guard is going to be. The two that stick out to me are Taylor Horton Tucker and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So out of those two players, 
which do you think would be a better point guard? Taylor Horton Tucker. I like not, not, uh, I mean uh, Alexander. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say I like <laughs> yeah, Alexander. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I would yeah. say Nah, man. Give yeah. me Nah for Horton yeah. Tucker all day. Yeah. Yeah, Horton Tucker's more of yeah, just a bully type. THP might be also one of the most inconsistent players I've seen as of late. Like he can either go off or he can just absolutely should like crap the bed. I just I don't know. I was looking at his at his. uh, I'm in a fantasy basketball league. I was looking at his fantasy numbers tonight, like the other night, because I was like, I wonder if he's even useful. And um, obviously, this, this doesn't you know decide how you actually are in an actual basketball game. But, you know, it still gives you a great insight about how consistent someone is with the numbers they put up. And it was like, for him, it was like, you know, one point, 15 points, one point, 13 points, negative 0.5 points, <laughs> 20 points. And I'm like, I don't, this guy, I just, I don't understand. So like, I like players that you know, like when the coach brings them on, you know exactly what you're getting from them. Yeah. And for him, it's just, you don't. For me, Neil Alexander Walker's looked pretty good every time he's come on. I, that's just me, though. Yeah, and he does a lot of the little things too. Like he does, totally. he doesn't have to always score. Like he can rebound really well. I think, I think it was last game where Bowler was commenting something to the effect of like it. It was like possession by possession. He was just gaining so much uh, experience and confidence. I'm like, coach, just put the man in, and he will learn as he goes. He was absolutely killing it. I think it was him and Ocha. I think we're, we're both just going off last game or something like that. Yeah, I think that was the game you hit like two or so, three threes. Yeah. No, it was kind of funny to me because I have a, fan, a friend that's a really big Pelicans fan. And whenever we traded for him, he was really excited that we're going to have Gnaw on our team. And last year when I told him, this guy isn't playing at all. I mean, obviously the Jazz were pretty good. But I told him this guy wasn't playing at all. And he was honestly shocked because he had loved everything he'd seen from him. And the Pelicans weren't that bad either. Like, the Pelicans weren't like some lottery team last year. They, you know, they went, they made it just as far in the playoffs as the Jazz did, as sad as, sad as it is, you know. They won two games, so, so be it, against the Suns. And uh, Walker was actually a big part of their team in the regular season. He got pretty good minutes. And so I feel like it's kind of sucked that he hasn't been able to get a string of minutes throughout even last year and this year because I think he actually is a really good player that could could contribute. But the problem is it's like who do you whose minutes do you take away? You know, right now it's kind of it'll be a little bit easier because there's injuries, but whenever the team's fully healthy, I just don't know whose minutes you yeah. take away. Other than THT. I uh so this is probably the next point I'm going to start hitting home because I, I was advocating for Agbashi uh, so much to get in and finally see him. And it honestly feels like he's in the rotation. He got 21 minutes tonight, uh, was guarding John Morant, their best player. And I, I feel like he's gained coaches' trust in a short amount of time. Um, Colin, what you're saying, whose minutes does he take? and it's got to be THT. Uh, I think THT could be a good fit. I don't think he's a point guard. You could run like a two guard front with him and have a secondary ball handler, but he's always looking to score. So I would rather have THT off the ball and more of like a Colin Sexton, uh, Donovan Mitchell, where if he gets the ball, it's like, okay, go, go and score. But his decision-making has got to get better. He's obviously only 21 years old. 
I feel he, he got 20 minutes tonight and and Nikhil Alexander Walker only got three. So it coaches ha- have to see something uh maybe that we're not seeing that he does in practice and it's just not translate translating over to the games. But I would like to see Nikhil Alexander Walker run the point guard a little bit more. Last game he had t- those two big steals. And I believe he hit a couple big shots too, where it's where it's kind of confusing that he didn't he didn't get more minutes than he did tonight because he was such an intricate part of that win, that first win against Memphis. So that's something uh, I'm really want to keep an eye out eye on is uh, THT and and I want to give him a nickname NAW Nah is that what they call him in New Orleans Nah Yeah Nah. I almost wonder, though, if maybe probably like five minutes or so taken from Mike just to rest him a little bit more as well between Mike, you know, take some minutes from Mike, JC maybe if you have to, maybe two or three minutes from him. But, yeah, mostly from THT and just give those to uh, uh, Abaji and and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and just try to um, do like a Colin Sexton with Nikhil Alexander-Walker line up there um as a, in the backcourt i think that would probably do pretty well because i feel like nick alexander walker is longer than we give him credit for and i think he would do pretty good on defense just needs more time to to prove it yeah i i'm i'm right there with you i i want to see a little bit more of nah and um the other guy that i really wanted the jazz to sign in the offseason uh he ended up getting picked up by charlotte hornets is Dennis Smith Jr. If you guys remember, he oh, was my God. I'm jump out of the gym. Yeah, he was drafted by Dallas Mavericks and then they drafted uh Luca right after him. And so he kind of fizzled out or got overshadowed by Luca. But he's he's playing really well in He's been great. Yeah, in Charlotte and he he'd be perfect right now for this young team running a point guard. The other guy I wanted to mention that comes to mind when you talk about Dennis Smith Jr. is Isaiah Thomas. He tweeted out, I believe it was today, the Utah Jazz are are hooping. Uh, is that a, an attempt for Isaiah Thomas to, to try and get uh, Danny Ainge to, to get him on his team? He's totally trying to, get, trying to get in here, man. He's totally trying to get in on it. Wait, Isaiah Thomas said that. Isaiah Thomas, yeah, the the little one, for the not the uh, Detroit Piston, yeah, Isaiah, the Boston oh, Celtics. Is he on a team right now? Huh? Is he on a team right now? No. No, I I I, I thought he was overseas, wasn't he? Or am I t- am I off my rocker? He was. In, I think the Lakers signed him for like a ten day. Yeah, it was last year though. I think. Yeah, I thought, I thought they signed him for a ten day. With the intention of signing in for the rest of the season, and then they didn't. And then I think he went. I, I could have sworn he went overseas. I could be wrong. Though. You know what? There'd be no reason for the Jazz to do this because he's an older person now with no any more potential than he already had. Um, but and whose minutes would he take? But at the same time, I think that'd be so cool to have more, just to see what he could do. You know, like even if he's on to ten or whatever, I think that'd be so much fun. Would he? Be, he would be an interesting player to put next to between him and Mike Conley to help uh, coach up Nikhil Alexander Walker and all these young guys. I think that would be interesting. That that actually would be a that's a great point because 
like I just said, he wouldn't be very useful, but in that sense, he would be because he's a very experienced player and he would be a mentor to a lot of these players, I feel like, because everyone, everyone knows who he is, you know? He's like one of those, he was one of those big names at one point. He knows what it's like to, you know, go through it, be at your low, you know, be at your highs. Like that's Well, and I believe... I believe he played with Olenek in Boston and when he was like on fire in those series. So it kind of does make sense. It, it would be fun to see him explode and then maybe even be able to trade him or something crazy like that. But uh, I wanted to hit on one other thing because uh, I believe it was Tony Jones from The Athletic that tweeted out the Jazz are not going to extend Balmero and Azabuki. So I had a thought, well, what if what if they waived one of those players and made a spot for someone else that is Yeah, wave Azabuki. Yeah. I mean Azabuki that guy's not good. Azabuki got in tonight. Balmero didn't. Uh, I believe Balmero dressed, but uh, there's there's another player floating out there that uh, I don't think anybody's going to take a chance on, but San Antonio just waved Primo, who was the 12th round pick, and he yeah, he shows showed his goods to some lady. Uh, yeah. Would you take a would, would you take a chance on him? Anybody's going to pick him up. I, I think we could. I mean, if he's just the 12th man, I mean, hey, give him time to get over whatever he's doing and showing his junk to people. Well, and then. I didn't uh, Beasley or somebody have problems where they were previously. Yeah, Beasley had problems with carrying guns or something like that. Right. That's kind of funny because Malik Beasley just seems like a big family man, like the nicest guy on the team. It's <laughs> that's kind of weird. Right. But but to Colin's point, I just wanted to touch on real fast was who thought that we were going to have that issue at the beginning of the year of <laughs> whose minutes are going to. Where are we going to find these minutes for these guys? <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, and I, I, uh, I haven't seen much of Micah Potter either, but like he, he could be a good, like Olenek or a big guy. Just not saying that he deserves a bunch of minutes, but if you know Olenek fouls out tonight, it could be something. Kessler's out tonight, where he goes back and forth between the G League. Um, I wanted to hit on Primo because it's like. What what is what is your mindset when you work your entire life? Uh, uh, this is how I'm looking at it. Um, to get to the NBA, you make it, and you just drop your drawers. Like I I just he's, he's young. I mean, how old is he? What twenty something? Maybe. I mean, yeah, but what when we were all twenty well, years well, old. We did stupid stuff too, but I mean, here. doesn't mean you should. <laughs> hey, you want to see my my stuff? Like the only thing I can imagine is maybe she was like a a massage therapist, and like you know, she was she was rubbing his ankle at the end of a game, and he is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you, it was, maybe it was the D pick gone wrong. Like he said it to her, and then he, she was turned off by him. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I will say about Primo is. I don't think he even played. I think he wasn't a great pick, honestly. Like he had a lot of potential, but this this year and even last year, he didn't play that great. Like he would drop what, like four points, six rebounds, and one assist in like twenty five minutes, like half the time. And the other half the time, he'd maybe get twelve points and two rebounds. Like I didn't think he even looked that. And this was like 
full-on starter minutes. Like, he was getting – Popovich was giving him the benefit of the doubt every game. They were also trying to tank, right? So, they yeah. had Murray, but they were trying to tank. So, he was getting all the time he needed on a team where – with a great coach. And he wasn't playing good. He just – this is my opinion. I don't think he has much potential. I wouldn't want the Jazz to sign him because he didn't look that great to me. If this was a guy that, you know – actually showed flashes at times josh Green didn't even show flashes really in my opinion like he didn't really ever he not that i can recall he never went off in a game just never like he never had a double double or a, like he maybe had one double double or i i just don't recall any time i keep up with these guys especially when they're rookies because i'm like the first round at least you know i, I keep up to see what they're doing especially i have you know my fantasy everything's everyone's draft almost everyone i have so many people that everyone's drafted so you're looking at all these guys you know even on the waiver wire you're looking at how they're doing week in and week out he never once was like that's a guy i should pick up that's a guy who's i think has potential i just in my opinion just you know the jazz shouldn't even get into that he needs to figure out his own thing uh i'm sure some team will pick him up but in my opinion it's not worth it i don't see his potential and now that there's a stigma to his name Yeah, I think that the Lakers are so desperate that they'll probably be the team to pick him up. (laughs) It'd be hilarious. But didn't you just say that Bomero and Doke are both getting released? Not released, but the Jazz are not. They have a player option. Yeah, and the Jazz. I was was Palmero the more guard-like guy, or was he the bigger guy? I can't. I can't remember between him. So Fontecchio's the Italian guy. Balmero, uh I don't know where Balmero's from. Gordon Gierczyk, two point oh. Palmero's Argentinian. Yeah, Argentina. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, my bad. My shout out to him. I did not mean to mess that up it's all right he he listens only every other podcast so you should be okay (laughs) okay but but he's the he's like the shorter guard like guy right because fontecchio is like the almost like a three fontecchio's like fontecchio's bigger uh balmero's like really skinny uh he kind of reminds me he moves like ginobili a little bit uh no, he's he's six five, six six, I think. Oh, Alright. But um that sucks for him. <laughs> well oh, anyways guys, it's twelve thirty for me. Yeah. I'm gonna head out. I was just gonna say I'm going to bed. Um <laughs> it was a fun yeah, game. So late. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll catch you guys again. I'm gonna try and get a Dallas Maverick uh podcast host before the game for Wednesday. Um yeah. I've been kind of busy not doing the before and afters, but we'll we'll get back to it. And then cool. uh for all you listeners out there, if you want to get in on this, follow at Jasketball. And help our podcast grow by leaving a review either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I had my first review, and it was from a podcast that I was playing Xbox Rocket League and really was just like to test out Twitter spaces. But Uh they said, this podcast is terrible. It needs work. So I need your guys' help on uh, getting my reviews up because I only have one three-star review. (laughs) Did you say you were looking for a... A Dallas Mavericks guest on the show? Yeah, do you have one? I might be able, like I'm from Dallas, so I might be able to help out with that. Yeah, if if you know I'll someone that has a podcast or kind of like a following, 
uh, have them reach out to me. I, I rated iTunes, so it should be good. Yeah. I only need like 3,000 more of those. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just All right, farm it. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you next time.